What's up, Batty Bees? I'm Brianna, mom, wife, serial entrepreneur, and host of the Badass Basic Bitch Podcast. Each week, I sit down with a seemingly ordinary woman who's doing extraordinary things, and I get to share her story with you. So let's go. Buckle up as we're going to get real and dive into the shit nobody talks about. Welcome to the Batty Bee Club. love people to take away that they don't exist on this earth to shrink themselves, that that doesn't mean they're healthier, it doesn't mean they're happier, that your body is not a problem to fix and you have so much more to do on earth than spend your life fixing. Welcome back to another episode of Badass Basic Bitch. On today's episode, we have Nadia Felsch with us, who is a nutritionist who is disrupting the norms of the industry by working through the lens of health at every size. She publicly calls out all BS and takes a non-diet approach. Uh, And today, we are going to be talking all about positive relationships with food and your body. Nadia, thank you so much for being here. How are you? Oh, thank you for having me, Brianna. I'm I'm so good. Thank you. And that was that was a really cool intro to hear. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I'm getting good at these, you know? You just do a couple of them and uh you start to flow. <laughs> So why don't you give our listeners a little short summary of what it is you do? Well, you did such a good job, but the, 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 I guess I always describe myself and this always, it provokes people on social media, which is maybe part of the point, but I would identify as an anti-diet nutritionist. I'm also an intuitive eating counselor, something I added to my kind of resume after a university And I also would identify as a a fat liberation activist. So in short, I support the folks that I work with to have a healthier and more peaceful relationship, not just to food, but also to their bodies because they got better things to do, quite frankly. They, They have fuller, joyful lives to live. And I feel that we are very distracted by our relationships to food that consume us and our bodies and that keeps us from living our most expansive lives. And what got you into this? Like, what? why are you interested in this? I saw initially my own relationship to food needed a helping hand. Uh, I struggled with an eating disorder about 10 years ago. And I, like most women, had struggled with the way that I viewed my body. But that was intrinsically linked to studying health science at university and majoring in nutrition. And that all kind of interspersed together to, okay, there's something not right about the way we learn this. There's something not right about the way people are so-called being helped by the system that I was in. And I realized that not that everything I'd learned had been irrelevant because not at all, the science is fantastic, but the way we were implementing that with humans in nutrition you know, traditionally is very problematic. It's uh, one of my colleagues has this great line. It's like, um, her name's Catherine. And she says, we teach dietitians and nutritionists how to teach disordered eating. And I saw that really early and decided I needed to learn other things. So that's how I ended up doing intuitive eating counseling, trauma-informed dietetic care, and really wanting people to I mean, the food pyramid is just not it. (laughs) Like, quite frankly, it's just not it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I was growing up all about the food pyramid and was just like, I'm not quite sure what to make of all of this. And I will say your relationship with food is taught at a young age, like since you have your first solids, really. And um, there was a, I, as many of my listeners know, um, I also had an eating disorder for almost two decades. And so I had a very hard relationship with food for, you know, a third, a half of my life, whatever that equals to. Um, and 
when I started having my own kids and I wanted them to have a healthier relationship with food and not have the struggles that I had a struggle with, one thing that I did very consciously was when children, when my children are upset, I don't distract with food. Like it, it's kind of funny because grandparents tend to be like, oh, here's a lollipop and here's a sucker, here's whatever. Um, and I don't know why I was so obsessed with this idea of like, yeah, if my kids are having a tantrum or they're really upset, just let them feel the feelings until it's over and don't try to distract them with like those fast, quick things that make them feel good like candy and food and whatever because just that something that's so innocent as that could show them that like emotions and fixing it with food like you develop that relationship with that food when you're at a young age and that was just something that really stuck with me and like one of my parenting things that like any of my kids were being upset I'm like don't you dare offer them anything like food comfort hugs like offer hugs <laughs> It's so interesting. You know, so many of my clients end up yeah, unraveling those emotional kind of attachments and connections to food. And I, I want to be clear that I don't think it's inherently pathological or problematic and rather, as, as you've pointed out so well, very likely a lack of other things and other coping tools and ability to experience things. So it's never someone's fault, but it's, it's, I love that you were kind of able to see early on for, for your kids that they very likely need some other things right now. And, and candy is probably not it in that moment. <laughs> yeah. Or soda or pop or whatever, whatever else there is to kids want these days. So, okay. I'm, I'm super curious of like your background because you say you're a nutritionist. Um, you clearly had an unhealthy relationship through your own eating disorder 10 ish years ago. Um, but what, what actually have you studied that has helped your clients and even you through your own personal journey? So when I, I, I finished my um, bachelor's degree in health science um, in 2018, not that this is obvious to listeners, but it was uh, something I did later in life. So I didn't actually go to university till I was 28, which is fun. Um, but that was just not enough. Like, quite frankly, it's just not enough as a understanding of people or trying to help people specifically know how to feed themselves and feel empowered. So it was the next year in 2019 that I undertook intuitive eating counseling certification. Um, and that's actually set up by two dietitians in the States who've been running that kind of framework since the nineties. And it's informed by, um, a lot of kind of, I guess, psychology aspects. So hence the counseling component. And that's really enabled me to take clients through a framework that helps them heal their relationship to food, heal from chronic dieting and yo-yo dieting and start to unpack those layers of, yeah, why do we, we talked about the food pyramid. So like, why do we see food as good or bad? Which inherently I want to be clear, my degree didn't teach that. That's more kind of what the world has laid on for us. That's not really science. And unfortunately, there's this big gap between what you learn in nutrition science, what bodies need to function, and then how we exist in the world as humans with a lot of pressure, with a lot of stress, with a lot of overwhelm, with a pandemic, you know, with racial violence, all the things that go on in the world. It's just it just wasn't enough. So yeah, it was, it was straight after graduation, essentially. I, I could see that and, and sort out that kind of extra component or, or more well-rounded component of, of being qualified to, to be honest, it's interesting you talked about your kids and, and kind of letting them feel feelings, being able to understand how to sit with people in really difficult spaces and difficult conversations and that's not something a nutrition degree enables you to do. So I'm very grateful that I had that that extra piece and, and still do have extra pieces to add to my knowledge and wisdom. Yeah, I remember from my own personal experience, one of the first things that was tried with me as a form of treatment, um, and I was probably in like my tweens slash teens, um, was going to a nutritionist. Mm -hmm. And I went to a nutritionist and the nutritionist sat down and was like, okay, 
here's your meal plan. And I just looked at it and I, I remember looking at the paper and being like, I'm not, I can't eat any of this. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that wasn't safe for you, I'm going to guess. No, I mean, it wasn't. It was not a good, it was not a good place. But I think when I, you know, what was that, 20 years ago? Oh my God, I can't believe I'm saying that. 20 <laughs> years ago, eating disorders were still a weird thing and they mm-hmm. weren't very common. And people really didn't know how to treat them. And I do, and and now I look at people where I don't, I don't think, you know, not everyone has an eating disorder, but there's definitely variants of unhealthiness, like that relationship being unhealthy with food, exercise, and diet. And that doesn't necessarily mean you have some eating disorder, but there's something there that's underlining And so I'm curious, like, when does a diet or lifestyle change turn into something unhealthy? Like, what are the signs? When do we, when can we start saying like, huh, this (laughs) might not be good? I'm so glad you asked this. Thank you so much. This is a question I don't think enough people even know to ask or think to ask. I'm going to offer, as challenging as this might be to people listening, that how we societally think of living healthy, in in inverted commas, and how we think of like a healthy diet is actually very unhealthy. The stress and the, the pressure that we can feel from like rigidity, I think it creates a lot of rigidity and a lot of limitations. We think we're doing it wrong. I mean, the amount of times I hear that. And I, I guess something that maybe is not clear to a lot of people is that I think what we are overtly actually chasing or pursuing is maybe a better way to put it. When we think of healthy lifestyle, when we think of healthy diet, we're actually pursuing thinness. That's actually not the same as health. So I would offer more specifically, if someone is feeling like the way they eat can't change, like it's very inflexible oh, well, what do I order on that menu? They don't have this thing. Um, That would be a bit of a flag to kind of take a look at, like inflexibility, um, feeling limited in choices. Like I'm not meant to eat this and this and this. And please note that I said like I shouldn't or I'm not meant to, not I don't want to because that's very different. And to be honest, Brianna, it's if food is taking up a huge amount of space in your brain and it's kind of maybe taking like, energy away from your family, from your work, from things that you love, there is probably some space for like curiosity and what's like, what's going on here? Like, is this, is this what I want for myself? Because I, I truly believe we've maybe all come to normalize that that is normal and, and it's, it's not, it's certainly not healthy. So there's like this thing that's going on in my friend group and and the mom's group of like where I live. And it's super interesting. Have you ever heard of Hashimoto's? I have. Okay, I think I pronounced that right. There is a weird thing happening where I have slowly started to see all of a sudden, all of these women where my kids go to school have... Hashimoto's. And I was like, what is this? And they're like, I can't eat gluten. I I need to avoid dairy. I can't have caffeine and this. And then I'm like, y'all, this is sounding like eating problems. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I Googled it because I'm like, I have to educate myself on what this is. And and what I realized was that it's not a very common thing. Mm -hmm. Like Hashimoto's is not very common. And, And you go, I guess you go to a doctor and you get some blood work done and and there's hormones, either thyroid hormones, whatever. But since the past two years, I went from knowing one person to probably 18 people. And I'm like, what are the chances that in my small network, I all of a sudden know 18 women who have Hashimoto's? And so I'm like wondering what, and the belief there is that food your hormones, your your balance, the way you feel comes from the gut. And I actually believe that. I believe that you are what you eat in a sense. 
And, um, but then all of a sudden, like we go out to lunch and these, there's a lot of, I can't have that. I can't have that. I shouldn't have that. I shouldn't have that. And I'm in a weird place where I want to be like, this sounds very familiar to me, but also like you went to a doctor and a doctor said you have this. So what about something like that where, where a doctor saying you have this in order to fix it, you have to do these things but it never ends. Yeah. So what you're describing, so Hashimoto's is an autoimmune disease. And unfortunately, uh, all autoimmune diseases, there's quite a number of them. I, I have one myself. Um, there's just not a lot known about autoimmunity and how it works in the body. There are a lot of newer kind of, as an aside for anyone, unfortunately, probably struggling with getting information about their autoimmunity. There is some really interesting and promising research linking to trauma responses and chronic prolonged trauma responses. And unfortunately, medicine traditionally doesn't like gray area and doesn't like to look at whole person health. So I'm not quite sure if in my lifetime much will happen about how we understand these diseases and how they manifest in the body. Like in my personal experience, whilst my condition is pretty well managed with medication and I have a great specialist they're not interested in the why or all the kind of influential factors, right? It's like, let's just make sure you don't get worse. And I appreciate that. That's important, right? So what you're describing is this, I actually have a whole podcast episode on this because there's a, there's a really dangerous kind of part of health, again, inverted commas, with this kind of wellness industry. And unfortunately, a lot of practitioners are kind of wrapped up in that practice of, I think, in my opinion, preying on very vulnerable people who are worried about their health and worried about their bodies and giving them really false hope that food will fix them. And that's just not the case. Food will fix nothing in that sense. It can't, can't cure your disease. Um, autoimmunity is irreversible. That It just is what it is. And I would always be very critical and questioning of any single practitioner that makes really big sweeping statements like you can't have this and you shouldn't have this. The research on food and disease in fixing is just not, it just doesn't work like that. It's, it shows me that they have a limited understanding of nutrition science. But the autoimmunity issue of Hashimoto's, like I have a lot of clients who who arrive with well, I'm not allowed to eat this, which is kind of maybe what you're hearing at like brunch or lunch or, you know, so from an intuitive eating lens, if someone feels that food doesn't work for them in their body, if, if that particular thing makes them feel a certain way, that's their prerogative. And I believe them. And I think that's important information. But what you will hear is something quite different. You won't hear, I can't have this, I can't have this, I can't have this generally. What you'll hear is probably nothing because they feel confident with the decision they're making. They don't feel the need to generally proclaim it to everybody. They also generally won't feel as limited because they understand that if I'm going to choose, let's, I'm just going to use like a non-food example. I love coffee, Brianna. Like I love coffee. But if I have coffee in the afternoon, it's not great for me, for my sleep, for my well-being. And like, look, nothing terrible is going to happen, sure, but I don't like that feeling and I'm entitled to think that way and I don't really even need to understand it. I just don't like it. But I wouldn't really feel the need to tell everybody about that at a cafe. Do you get me? Like, I've just I've just got that information and I'm cool with that. So what I would be, like what strikes me is how limited and restricted and maybe stressed people are if they're kind of feeling like I can't have this I can't have this that must be stressful that is stressful I know I've been there <laughs> it's very stressful I like what you're saying there um because like I have a friend who has a not a dairy allergy but dairy does something to her and she doesn't like it and so when we're out she's just always like uh what are your, what are your dairy free options like these 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 okay I'll do this there's no disclaimer. There's just like, I want to make sure when I eat dairy. And even when I ask her, I'm like, what are you allergic to dairy? She's like, honestly, I'm not sure. But when I eat it, these are my reactions and I don't like it. And so I don't eat it. And I think there's a difference there between like, well, I'm not supposed to have this because I, 
because my doctor said I have Hashimoto's or or whatever. Um, so I like I, I like what you said there that that disclaimer. Good food is important to me, especially being a mom. I try to cook four to five homemade meals each week, but sometimes that's hard. Between my time constraint and figuring out which recipes and meals to cook without it getting repetitive. That's why we've used HelloFresh for years. It's simple. You pick your favorites from 50 different weekly options and you can skip the weeks that you don't need, like if you're traveling. You can change your delivery date as well all through their HelloFresh app. One of my favorite parts is being able to toggle between vegetarian and meat options. Our au pair, Kami, is a vegetarian, so it's really simple for me to get two to three meals a week for her so she can cook and I don't have to cook separate meals for her and the family. Just go to hellofresh.com slash BBB16 and use code BBB16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. That's HelloFresh.com slash BBB16 and use code BBB16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Why is someone's relationship with food important? Like, why should we care about how Mm. we are with food? I don't think... I like don't think people do care like like, truthfully I think they're not even maybe generally familiar with that as a concept and I know I wasn't years ago either like uh, the the concept of a relationship to food probably would have sounded a bit strange to me but at the same time if we are interested and there's no there's no requirement as a person to care about this I know that's maybe a bit weird for a nutritionist to say but if you don't really care about the way that you eat, like I truly believe that's your call. I don't think it makes you a better or worse person. Some of us have so many other things going on that that's just not the priority. But if you're listening to this, chances are you probably do care. It probably is important to you. And what I would kind of invite people to consider is that how we relate to food is part of having a healthy dietary pattern. It is not like this separate weird thing. It is it is part of it because if food is stressing us out, if the choices we are making feel disconnected or worrying or guilty, the way that we think about food is absolutely part of the overall kind of well-being that we have and so the relationship is very valuable to that because it's the difference as you just shared between knowing ourselves, knowing our needs, being able to respond to those needs and have those needs met but also not have it take over. That's a really important distinction. I want folks to eat food that feels good for them. I absolutely do. But if that is causing immense stress, and again, this can be without an eating disorder. There are lots and lots of people who do not have eating disorders who are constantly worried about the way they're eating. And I'm not quite sure that's healthy for anybody. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's it like I have um, I have a close friend who definitely does not have an eating disorder, but she's so obsessed with where her food comes from and the chemicals that could be in it. Has finally gotten to a point where she's admitted, she's like, I definitely have an unhealthy relationship because it's preventing me from eating outside the house, eating other people's foods. And it's it's an obsession, but it's not an eating disorder behavior to the sense of it's tied to worthiness, weight loss, body dysphoria, et cetera. It's just simply, I'm so terrified of what's put in my food and I just need to own that and control that. And so I'm sure it's some form, it's just become a mental control issue that is related to food, which I think, and maybe this is making me making a big statement, but I, I do think that like when you have unhealthy relationships with food, most times than not, it is linked to mental wellness um, and control and or something trauma or something along those lines where it's not necessarily the relationship with food. That's just the way that it's manifesting and there's something underlining there. So we talked about one big sign where, uh, where you can notice that you have an unhealthy relationship with food. What are other signs that people can see or notice? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think what I said is is 
that you you don't feel free. So like you can't eat whatever you like. Because to right. me that would be that would be a big sign that if yeah if you can't feel free to eat whatever you like, that would definitely be a sign. Another one is feeling guilty for eating some foods, right? So if we have some kind of emotional response to the choice we want to make or the choice we did make, that would also be a sign of kind of some love that's needed there. Um, And probably the most obvious, I think in a way, so it's interesting I didn't mention it first, but is that you might see food as like a binary. So this is good stuff and this is bad stuff. And and you can extrapolate that to whatever you mean. So this is healthy, this is unhealthy, this is um, better, this is worse. The problem with that is it is prioritizing external information over your own internal compass and your own body's knowledge. So it's not I I think sometimes how people hear that, I just want to kind of add this layer because people often shout about this. No one is suggesting all foods are the same from a nutrient perspective. Like nobody is that stupid, truly. But that is not the same as emotionally seeing foods as good or bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this is, it is interesting because this is something that I try really hard with my kids. I don't talk about food being bad or good. I mean, sometimes I say like healthy choices, um, but I don't necessarily talk about ice cream being healthy or unhealthy. It's just that we have to weigh on a scale of what gives us nutritional needs for our body. And I kind of make it a little bit more transactional in the sense of like broccoli has a higher nutritional value than ice cream. Does that mean that we shouldn't eat ice cream? No, of course not. You can eat ice cream. We have to give our body what it needs in order to be strong and function. Ice cream, although does give some sort of nutrition, right? There's dairy in there, probably some protein, depending what you're putting on. It's just that we get more value or more bang from the buck from these other things. So it's important to give our body those first. Um, And I just try really hard because I think it's so easy to be like, that's a good choice. You chose broccoli over ice cream or um, like, good girl, you finished your chicken. That really sticks with people. It ingrains with them as as children. So I like what you're saying in terms of like, it doesn't have, if it starts to be binary, good, bad, wrong, right, punishment, if you do this, then that could be a huge sign. If people are listening and they're like, oh my gosh, I have all three of those signs. <laughs> I need to get my shit together. Right. How do I, how do I do this? How, what are a couple steps? Maybe we can take the listeners through like, I don't know, a couple steps of like, how do we build or rebuild a healthy relationship with food? I could give you many steps. Are you ready for many steps? Okay. Well, let's, we'll do this. We'll start one at a time and we'll chat about them. Okay. I appreciate that. Okay. Okay. You know, I think one of the key things, I'm going to say this is number one. I think this has got to be number one is like, can you just start to bring some awareness to how much that is at play in your world? And so by that, I mean, this food is good and this food is bad, or this is the healthy thing and this is the less healthy thing. And and that is very much linked to often body size. So like, I'm trying to not be that body because I want to be that body. So we would call this diet culture's influence or the diet mentality's influence. And what I would invite folks to consider at the very core is, can you notice how much that is at play in your world? Because once you start to see that, it is, it is, you can never unsee it again. That's my warning. The principle in intuitive eating is actually called reject the diet mentality. It's actually the first principle of intuitive eating. But I would go a step further of like, that doesn't always work because if someone is hearing this type kind of information for the very first time in their lives, that is very overwhelming because maybe they're not even sure what it means. So I would kind of like start like a little mouse, like, wow, when I go to work, everyone kind of tells me they were really bad last night for what they ate and how like today they have to be really good. Like, can you just start to notice how much people talk like this? Because you definitely are internalizing it. We are all internalizing that until we are awake so to speak. So the reason this is so important, Brianna, is when we are rebuilding our relationship to food or building it maybe for the first time, 
the core is coming back to your own self and your own journey, which is going to be the next step that I, I want to talk about. But that is, I'm, I'm just going to say it's fucking hard. It's really fucking hard. And it's going to be much harder if everywhere you go and every account you follow and every person in your friend group is talking about how bad they were for eating something. So we're not, I'm not at all suggesting you dump everyone in your life, but can you just start to notice it? Yeah, I like that. Bring a, bringing awareness. I like that because, you know, sometimes you could follow influencers and you follow them, they travel and then they get home and they're like, oh, t- I'm going to, I'm start, I got to restart because I ate, I ate like crap and now it's time to restart. And like, it is constantly being fed to you. And I like that. And, and even if that means like every time you hear it or you say it, grab your phone, open your notes and just put a, put a tally. Yeah, by the date, it'll get long. It'll get long. Well, and that's—I think—that's the purpose. I think that's the purpose. Is like, holy crap! Twenty-seven times today, somebody said this. You start being more aware of it, and then you start being more cognizant of it. Where you're like, okay, this person, maybe who I follow, that's all they talk about, and maybe it's time that I unfollow, and then see how the tallies go down. But I like that one. That's a good one. Okay. So that would be the first thing I think is important to do. And then where we kind of find ourselves is, you know, most people that I work with are very disconnected from their body. Like even, even the idea. So I'm, I'm going to kind of talk about connection here, but that is vague to a lot of people. So if someone listening finds that a vague, like, what is this, what is Nadia even talking about? That's normal. So partly connecting to ourselves is things like, what is my experience of different signals and different sensations in my body? So for instance, something like a hunger spectrum. So we have different signals of hunger and they get louder and more intense, the more hungry we get. And that's all biological. There's nothing we can do to change that. It's designed to keep us alive. That's really just one part of this. I'm also kind of talking in the biggest sense, do you like we all live under capitalism. So very likely we're very worn out. Um, I feel like the last couple of years of all of our lives have been very bizarre and challenging and scary and all kinds of things. And so what I think people often think about and talk to me about is, you know, they, they are so burnt out. They're so overwhelmed. They're worn out. And then they're feeling like, but I'm meant to sleep more. And I'm meant to exercise more and I'm meant to drink more water, but we need to actually like kind of get way back to more basics and review. Like, do you even have a sense of where your body is at in the day? Are you connected to what it's telling you? Do you even hear these words right now? Because this all might be a little bit like gobbledygook kind of language, because what is so heartbreaking is we are so disconnected from our bodies and their needs. And that's also works perfectly with that kind of diet mentality. Well, just eat these things. So we follow these external rules, but we have no idea what's actually, what are our needs essentially. So connecting and for different people, that's going to look different. So someone might be pretty connected to their body right now and thinking, cool, yeah, I'm going to play with my hunger a little bit. And there's so many resources that that, that can help them with that. But if that is foreign, I would suggest that you have a lot going on And you need to kind of take it even slower. Like, like where is your body at in any given point of the day? Our next partner, Athletic Greens, has a product that I have been trying to use every day. I started taking AG1 because the prenatal I was taking at night was giving me terrible heartburn. I also love AG1 because I take it once a day in the morning instead of a morning coffee. It contains less than one gram of sugar. It has high quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. No GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything, and it still tastes good. But you don't have to trust me. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. 
And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash BBB. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash BBB to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Mm. And when you say, where's your body at? You're talking about like, like right now, my back fucking hurts. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm pregnant. I'm like 30 weeks. I'm, I'm super pregnant and I'm uncomfortable all the time. All like, are you time. actually saying like physically? All of it. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So like, like for, for, I would say most folks I work with, once we start talking about things like body sensations, they are through the day, like they are completely disconnected from what their body is telling them. So their body might be saying, Hey, I need to, I need to pee. And they put it off and they put it off and they put it off. I got to send this email. I got to do this thing with my kid. I got to make that phone call. And what we are inherently saying is I don't care that my body has needs because I got all these. Fascinating. I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know people did that. Like I describe to my clients, I like to think that we have like this massive radar, like a, like an airport, like air traffic control radar. There's constant information coming in about our body, its mood, its feelings, its stress levels, its need to wee or drink water. And it's not that you will ever stay a hundred percent attached to that. Like nobody can living in the world that we live in, but what most people are at is a point where they're not even conscious of that stuff. And so then all of a sudden, it does feel like this to them, that all of a sudden they're starving. All of a sudden they're Got so thirsty. They're on like autopilot or something. Totally. And then there's this pressure to eat a certain way and to, as I said, do exercise and sleep. And that I'm not saying it's not important, but you're not even like connected to the basic things of your human need, right? So like, I know it probably sounds, I mean, I'm glad it sounds actually quite foreign to you because it tells me that you have pretty good connection, but. Well, I've probably done a lot of work to get that. Yes. You know, let's, let's give myself some credit. (laughs) and And I'm also pregnant. And I think when you're pregnant, you are so connected to your body, but I can totally see, I can see myself in situations in the past where, where, for example, I would wake up and work and work and work and everything was all about work, 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 work. And, and 4 PM came around and I was like, did I even eat a snack? Did I even, who did I talk to today? And so I get that and I can see people doing that. So that, so that's a good one. And I, and I like that. So maybe it's like a, every hour or every 30 minute, I don't know, every hour seems plausible. (laughs) Doing a check-in with yourself. How am I feeling? How am I doing? Yeah. Like a question I often encourage my clients who are working through this early work to, to ask themselves is what do I need right now? And it's a really loving, gentle question. And that's intentionally chosen. If that language doesn't resonate, like insert whatever you want, but what do I need could be, I need to take a deep breath. I need to get outside for one second. I need to hug my dog like I'm doing right now. It, it, we are very, I'm going to put on like my, my serious voice. We, we are such complex, incredible human beings capable of so many things. And that comes at a cost. And that cost is that we need a lot of things. And we are incredibly used to denying those things, not connecting to those. And I'm not even just talking about food right now, but that is part of it. Like most people that I work with do not eat enough food regularly, but then might struggle with eating past fullness or binging later in the day. And at the very core, whilst there might be a lot of things going on for them, they're just not used to eating regularly. And then they wonder emotionally why it feels so hectic at the end of the day. Whilst again, there might be some other things going on for them their body is just screaming for food and for needs and attention. And if we can take this kind of kind of perspective that our body 
is capable of lots, whatever your body is, it is capable of a lot, but it needs things in return. We cannot just keep pushing and expecting that everything will be okay. It won't be. Yeah, I like that. I like the check in asking, what do I need throughout the day? I think that's really important. So let's talk about step three, I think. Three. Okay. So this is a little bit more food related and I would invite folks to, I kind of call this like challenge, challenging the way we think about food. You could talk about like unpacking the way you think about food. This is like food rules, like coming back to that kind of good or bad thing. And, and this really inherently also starts because maybe we've got some more awareness about what we're hearing and what we're seeing and what we're internalizing Maybe we're a little bit more connected to our body. And now we get to this stage where for most of us, we are probably not eating what we truly want to eat when we want it. So what is really important when we rebuild our relationship to food is whilst we're looking at why we think the way we think about food and unpacking that story and that narrative, we actually need to allow ourselves to eat what we want. It's very, very critical. Yes. I mean, I'm dying to hear what you think about that, but that's also very challenging. I, I want to be clear. It, like me just saying that is, is it's not easy. Well, so I relate to this significantly. And maybe some people don't because maybe some people are like, well, then I only want to eat McDonald's all day long. That's what I want, right? But actually I got home and I haven't had dinner yet. And it's, you know, 650 And I was like, I don't want to make dinner. I just want a scoop of ice cream. I guess. (laughs) And I think I'm at the place now where that's what I wanted. My body has been thinking about this all day. I know exactly what ice cream I want. My My friend got me ice cream from Brooklyn and she shipped it to me. And so I'm like, I want, I know she's a very good friend. She got me four pints of Brooklyn ice cream. Like you're, Allie, you're amazing. Thank you. But so anyway, I was like, I want this ice cream. And I think, and and then I had it and I had a small scoop and I was done. And then after this, I'll actually go make like a proper dinner. But what would have, what could have happened was I would be like, ah, no, I don't want ice cream. Maybe I'll just make a healthier choice. I'll have two pieces of cheese. Oh, I'm still hungry. I'll have an apple. I'm still hungry. Oh, chocolate-covered raisins. Okay, I'll have some chocolate-covered raisins. Like, it it just could spiral. And then I still feel not satisfied because I didn't want any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I actually mm-hmm. just wanted the tiny scoop of ice cream to be like, I, I satisfied the need for the ice cream. And I'm not saying like I sat there and ate the whole pint. I mean, I probably had like three spoonfuls at most, but that's all I wanted. And then I was satisfied and I didn't eat anything more. And I think I think that's where for me, the intuitive eating happens is like I I allow myself to have those things. And then when I do that, I'm not like, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe I ate three. Well, I might as well eat the whole pint now and then get mad at myself for doing it, which is how I used to be back in the day. And then, okay, then it leads to binging and purging. Um, And then it leads to two weeks of not eating, right? And so I completely relate to this. And I, I do that. And that's why I've been eating sort of behavior free for over a decade now is because of that mindset. That's so wonderful. I'm so glad you shared that. And I also appreciate how you said what maybe people's knee jerk reaction might be to hearing this kind of concept. But what you've touched on is the two core aspects of why this is important. Unconditional permission to eat, which is what I guess the the intuitive eating reference is here is possibly an ongoing process. I, I always like to be very transparent. This is this is part of the hardest work here because you have all these beliefs and narratives that this is bad for me, this will happen, I'll just keep eating ice cream. And the what that screams at is how long you've spent disconnected from your body. So, so if someone's reaction is that, it's very valid and it's not that it's not real, but what it tells me is they have no trust. Yeah, they exactly. don't even know what body trust is. And that's not their fault. I actually feel 
heartbroken that they don't know what that is because what they're also inherently saying is, if I could eat whatever I wanted, Nadia, whenever I wanted, I will make choices always that don't feel great for my body always. And that's also heartbreaking because it's saying that you wouldn't treat your body well given the chance. And I know that people don't think that on the surface, but that is really what they're saying. And that isn't their fault. That is that is the outcome of being in diet culture, of being in a society that tells us we don't know what we're meant to do with ourselves and how we're meant to eat. And so you've, you've described both unconditional permission, I can eat this whenever I want, which is core, but you've also described how it ends up being that you're okay to have the amount you need, you're okay to leave it. And you, this, I love that you talked about satisfaction because that's critical. Because the other alternative that you described of like constantly seeking food is what we do when we're not satisfied. It's very normal. It's a very normal response. It's not, it's not pathological, but we don't realize that. We realize, we just think we're greedy. There's something wrong with us. I can't, I'm so out of control. So when we allow all foods, what happens is the process of habituation in our brain starts to take place and we start neutralizing our emotional response to things. And we're like, oh yeah, it's kind of just ice cream. Like it's great, but it's just ice cream. And like the chips are just the chips. They're the same as the eggs or they're the same as the milk. The aim with food is not that we don't care or that we don't get excited because I think that's human to get like, you know, all those stupid ideas that we are out of control and we are greedy around food is actually because of restriction. We have to allow all the foods to feel okay around all the foods. Yep. I mean, I mean, to me, that's like eating disorder one on one hundred and one for me personally. And I spent a lot, a lot of my eating disorder was restricting, and bulimorexia. And bulimorexia is you're restricting, and then like something happens where you eat something that isn't fit in your restrictive diet, and it's a snap of like I ruined everything from having a lick of ice cream and now I'm going to indulge and then I would get rid of it. I think I do see that behavior in our society where it's like, I, I oh, I'm gluten-free. It's like, oh, I just want that piece of bread. I want the piece of bread and you eat the piece of bread and it's like, are you kidding me? Okay. Well, since I had the piece of bread, might as well have pasta and pizza and this and that and that because I've already made my, I'm I'm already going to feel like crap from eating the gluten. So I might as well just feel like crap all over. It's like this inherent like rebellion that you're kind of describing. And, And you know what causes like, I mean, the core of all of that, that rebellion or that, um, what the hell effect, it actually has a a term in eating psychology is called the what the hell effect. And so what we're really seeing is we are separate from ourselves and we are kind of at war with ourselves. It says a lot about our food relationship. And again, this exists not in eating, not just in eating disorder population. This is in general public a lot because we are taught to feel so guilty for what we've eaten. So we restrict and limit things. That means we feel more out of control around those foods and on those moments where we are, our humanity takes over and we eat them because we're human again, and we want those things. It's so unbearable that we've done that. The guilt and the shame and the maybe physical feelings as well. Maybe they're so unbearable that now we know we have to get strict and severe again tomorrow or next week or whatever. So now let's just like get it all in real quick. And right. That's where a lot of people spend their lives, unfortunately. Yeah, that cycle. Yeah. It's hard to get out of that. This has been super helpful. <laughs> I love the three tips. I think all three of them are really tangible and people can start reflecting on their own relationship with food. If listeners were only going to leave with one piece of advice from today, what would it be? This is a lot of pressure. I would love people to take away that they don't exist on this earth to shrink themselves, that that doesn't mean they're healthier, it doesn't mean they're happier, that your body is not a problem to fix and you have so much more to do on 
earth than spend your life fixing. I like that. Nadia, where can people find you for other great advice? I know you have a podcast. Tell us about your podcast and your Instagram. Okay. So my podcast is Food and Body Freedom Podcast. Thank you for asking. Um, I think I just published episode 41, which is kind of cool. Yay. So I'm, I'm not as experienced as you, but I'm, um, I, I've been podcast. I mean, you're pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> I look, it's such a fun experience. So it's a mixture of me doing more kind of practical, kind of like we just did, like shorter episodes that are quite practical. I try to bring a lot of the things that are in my clinic to people listening. So knowing if they are not financially able to access support or maybe they're starting to play with this, I really, I think it's very important to have those resources there. And then other episodes are longer ones like this, where I talk to people about really specific topics. So one coming out soon is about healing your relationship to movement. And I talk to an intuitive movement coach. So that's the podcast. Find it wherever you get podcasts. And my Instagram is my name. So Nadia Felsch and my surname is F-E-L-S-C-H. And I'm pretty active on the Instagram. I do love the Instagram. On the Instagram. Um, it's, you know, <laughs> making a fool of myself with reels and all the rest of it. And it's also like, a, it's just like, it's such a great opportunity to you know, I'm not interested in like trying to change people's minds about how they relate to food or their bodies. I believe in choice. And then if you have decided, wow, like I want different things for myself or I, I want there to be resources and I want there to be alternatives for you. So that's how I think of my social media. And then my website is NadiaFelsch.com. Well, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you. And you are one badass basic bitch. <laughs> As always, thank you for listening. Check us out on Instagram at badass basic bitch. And thank you to Saw and Sign, our production studio. We'll see you next week. <laughs>